Welcome to the Word and Bible Study with Pastor Dan and the family. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Was everybody ready to learn some more from the book of Hebrews? Yes. yes. Yeah, we're going to finish it up today. And it's cool because the first book we're getting into is going to talk all about your favorite friend again, Saul. Who? Melchizedek. Oh. <laughs> we kept talking about He was a priest in the Old Testament. Oh, he was a priest? Yeah, he was a priest that Abraham paid his tithes to. I remember the name from the Old Testament. I didn't know he worked as a priest. Yeah, he was a priest. And then, then he's an example. They use him as an example to kind of point to Christ. And we're going we're gonna to read all about that today in Hebrews chapter 7. So let's hop right in with verse number 1. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after... This is telling you about it right now, Saul. It's telling you all about who he was. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice, and the king of Salem means the king of peace. So that's what his name means, Saul. Melchizedek means king of justice and king of peace. And you guys know how me and mom pay tithes at church, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I remember I taught you, you paid tithes, right, Saul? Yeah, all the time. All the time. This is where we get it from. Some people say the tithing is Old Testament, but what are we reading from right now? New Testament. Oh, New Testament. Looks like somebody's been telling lies. So yeah, tithing is definitely in the Bible. It's in the Old and it's in the New Testament. And this is where we get that promise. Abraham gave a tenth of everything that he won in the battle to this priest. We give a tenth of everything we make to God. And his church is his body. So we give it to our church, right? Yeah, it's important to follow God's word. Some people don't want his promises, but I want his promises. And there's another place in the Old Testament where it says, if we bring our tithe to the to the house of God, that he will open the windows of heaven and dump out blessings on us. Yeah, that's a promise in the word of God as well. How long? Uh, I've been waiting for another turn to uh, one of the days to pay tithes. We pay tithes every time we get money. So when you get some money coming up for your birthday, we're going to pay some tithes off that, right? And then God will bless you and give you more, right? Yeah, the type of tithes I mean is when you walk up there and give them it. Oh, well, ever since COVID, we've been just turning it in. I've been doing it online for us. Oh. Yeah. They have a little church box. But it, in, in any money that you get, it's all that you want to pay tithes on, you can give me it and I'll pay it online too. Right. Yeah, because we want God's blessing in our life, right? Amen. That's why we do it. So let's continue. That's enough preaching on ties, right? People are going to think that I'm just doing this podcast to get their money. Well, guess what? I don't get their money when they pay their ties, so I'm just doing it because I want to proclaim the promises of God, right? Right. I want Teach people to blessings. hear this. They don't, they're not going to give me their ties, but they're going to take their ties to their church, and God will bless them because it says so in his word. So let's continue. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors. His beginning or end of his life, he remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. So that's why he's like Christ, according to what it tells us about him in the Bible. 
So consider then how great this Melchizedek was, that even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now, the law of Moses required that the priests, who are the descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe for the rest of the people of Israel, who were also the descendants of Abraham. So now this is another place in the Old Testament where it teaches tithes. It, that in the old in the uh, the children of Israel, they all paid their tithes to Levi, who was also a child of Abraham. So even though they were brothers, they gave their money to them because that's what the Word of God commanded. And it's the same thing with us. We give our money to the church because that's what the Word of God commands. Yeah. Right. But Melchizedek who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham. So, we give a tenth. That's how we see in the word of God that by giving a tenth is how we get a blessing. The one who had already received the promises of God, was talking about Abraham, and without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The priests who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are, because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came from was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So, if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood, with a priest in the order of Melchizedek, instead of in the order of Levi and Aaron? That's important too, that in the beginning, God set up tithing under Melchizedek, and Christ is our example of the high priest. So we're still paying our tithe to Christ. It was never about yeah. paying it to Levi or Aaron. It was always about pay, pay, paying it to Christ. Yeah. That's really good. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belong to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirements about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. 
There are many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath that his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Isn't that amazing, guys? That's why we don't have a priest now. We worship Jesus. Yeah, I don't belong to a priest. I belong to Christ. That's awesome. The royal priesthood. Yeah. So we're going to move on to chapter number eight. Here we go. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in the system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. And now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Isn't that amazing, guys? Mm -hmm. We got better promises than Abraham in the Old Covenant. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their heart. You hear this, guys? So we're not, God doesn't write our laws in our book no more. He said he's going to put it in our minds. So you're going to know what is right and wrong, right? right? The Holy Ghost is going to tell you. And I will write them on your heart. So that way you'll know what's right and wrong. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, 
saying, you should know the Lord. Isn't that good, guys? Really? You have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to have other people tell you how to know God, right? You know him, don't you? Amen. Yeah, we all know him. So it says, they will not need to teach the relatives saying you will know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Isn't that good, guys? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Because you guys remember in the Old Testament, they had all the laws that they had to follow, right? Right. They had to get up on, you know, not work on Sunday or on the Sabbath. They had to honor their mother and father. They had a whole list. They couldn't eat shellfish. Ah, that's pretty bad. They couldn't eat pork. There's all kinds of rules in the well, Old Testament. that sucks. Well, <laughs> well it didn't either suck. Either way, listen. you can't work on the Sabbath. Yeah. And listen, it didn't suck because back then they didn't have refrigerators. So God was helping them. Everything that God has for us is for our good, right? Yeah. The devil convinces us that it's bad for us to listen to God. But when we listen to God, it makes our life better. But God said now he's not going to do it like that no more. He's not going to write it down in the book. He's going to write it in your heart and in your mind. So he's going to tell you what you should and what you shouldn't do every day. Isn't that good? Yeah, so if I'm like, we have to listen and focus. Yeah, so if I'm yeah. like, God, should I, should I get up and work on my car today, or should I get some rest? Like He'll tell me. He'll let me know. Like, yeah, you better get to work on that car today, you know. Or maybe you should take some rest, Dan. Or maybe you should, maybe you should go here tomorrow. Or, you know, that's how He helps us through our life, right? It, right. Um. So would you be able to eat steak back then? Well, listen, we now You're realize... You're always worried about steaks, all. <laughs> we now realize um, the wisdom behind what God was doing. You know, with, sea, with shellfish, you'll get super sick if you eat it too late. With pork, same thing. So now we see the wisdom. It's always for a purpose. Right. Chapter number nine now, guys. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship, and a place of worship here on earth. There are two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room, there was a light stand on the table, sacred loaves of bread on the table, and this room was called the holy place. So he's telling you guys about the tabernacle right now. This is stuff that we're going to go through when we go back through the Old Testament. But he, he, they had to set up this tabernacle just the way God told them because it had to be a, a, an exact replication of the one in heaven. So there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the sacred room called the Most Holy Place. That was where the Ark of the Covenant, he's going to get to that. In that room was gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. So that was all inside the tabernacle. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, we'll learn about that when we get to the Old Testament. And we're kind of learning about it right now, right? We're in the New Testament. Yeah, see, that's what that's what's good about the New Testament is it, it does show you all the stuff that's important in the Old Testament too. But I wanted to go through the New first because this applies to how we live today. 
And then once we're done with the New Testament, we're going to go through the old one. I thought you said, um... So it's cool. Let's continue here. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins, and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. That's pretty crazy, guys. You know, it tells you in the Old Testament that when they, the priests would go into the holiest of holies, that if they, if they had sin in them, they would drop dead, and they would have to pull them out of there. That's how sacred that place was. So only the high priest could go in there, and he better be right with God if he was going to enter into that holiest of holies. Well, that's pretty cool. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offered are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's powerful, guys. That's what God did for us. Man, he's such a good God. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurities. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. That's very good, guys. Think about that. Back in the day, they killed a goat, and that made them good enough to where they could go before God and ask God for stuff. But now we have his son's blood on our life. How much more can we go to God and ask for stuff, right? Right. And just communicate with him and just be in fellowship with him. At all times. That's amazing. We get to worship him because of what Jesus did. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sin they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. Right, guys? You understand that? Yeah. Yes. That means like all of mine and mom's stuff. You don't get all of our stuff until we're dead, right? Right. 
Yep. So we have to prove that someone's dead before we can get their their, uh, their blessings from their deed. That is why even the first covenant must be put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats along with the water and sprinkled them both on the book of God's law and on all the people, using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, The blood confirms the covenant God made with you, and it is in the same way he sprinkles blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. You guys think about that. So back in the Old Testament, he used to walk around with a branch and dip it in blood and sprinkle it on everything. Wow. Because it was showing that we were in covenant with God. Yeah, and it was a representation of what God was going to do for us in heaven when Christ rose from the dead. For without the shedding of blood, listen to this, there is no forgiveness. You hear that? Because the wages of sin is death, right? Right. So there must be blood to pay for sin. That's why Christ gave his blood. That's important, man. That's powerful. Amen. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified with the blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made by human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven after offering himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who entered the most high place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once, for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after, that comes judgment. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. That's good, guys. He will come again. But guess what? When he comes again... We're going to heaven. Yes, it will not... This is what the Bible says... When he comes again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all Amen. who are eagerly waiting for him. Is that us, guys? Wow. Yes. 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 We are eagerly waiting Jesus. for our king to return. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. So, chapter number 10, guys. Let's just keep going. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feeling of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, 
For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with the burnt offerings or the other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven... There is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So that's why Jesus doesn't have to sacrifice himself again and again because he has the power to forgive us, right? Yeah, and that's why we don't have to get baptized more than once. Very good, Saul. You're right. Because when we get baptized one time into his death and into his resurrection. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What does that mean, boys? We can enter heaven because of the blood of Jesus and us having the yeah. Holy Ghost. Yeah, but it also is talking about something here on earth, too. It means that when we pray, our prayers enter the most holy place because of what? Because of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus. Yeah, that's important. It's because of his blood. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. That's awesome, guys. That's what he's talking about when we pray. When we pray, we can talk directly to God, right? He's our Father. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we can do that. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. What's he talking about there? 
Don't neglect meeting together. He's talking about going to church, right? Oh. Yeah, it's important. We have to keep going to church. That's why it's important. I don't understand the word neglect. Neglect means not to do something. So we have to continue to meet together, and we got to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. So, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse the punishment will be for those who have tempted the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if we were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, and I will pay them back. He also said, The Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Think back on these early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there was better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Right, boys? Yes. Yeah, we are the faithful ones. Chapter number 11. And chapter number 11 is our faith chapter, guys. Nice. This chapter is going to teach us what faith is. And it starts off with... I thought faith was a human. (laughs) Faith is a name of someone we know. You're right. But faith, it says in the first verse, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. So you understand that, boys? We hope for things in Christ. Faith is us acting like what Christ promised us is going to come true. That's what faith really is. And it is the evidence of the things that we cannot see. So it is like the evidence, you know, like in a crime scene, when they find evidence, it's the evidence of the things that we don't see yet. So faith is like believing in something and acting like you know it's going to happen, right? Yeah, like believing in Jesus. Yes, and acting like we know he's real. We're having faith in him. Very good, Saul. Yeah. So let's keep going here. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed by God's command. Right? We believe in that, right? Yes. Yes, we have faith in that. 
that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. But it was by faith that Abel brought forth a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering, you know who Cain and Abel are, right? Yeah. Yeah, the sons of Adam and Eve. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying, because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. You hear that, guys? Yes. You guys want to please God? Yes, then we have to have faith. Yeah, it's impossible to please God without believing. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. That's a good scripture, guys. Amen. We have to know those things about God. He likes to reward people who are seeking him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God gave him as an inheritance. That's pretty crazy. God told Abraham, leave your family and leave your land and go somewhere and I'll show you where to go. And by faith, he he packed all of his stuff and he believed in God and left. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Where is that? Uh, heaven. Heaven, right. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country where they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking forward to a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. 
And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And it is by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. And it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. They drowned and died? Yeah, the Egyptians' armies did. When they tried to go after them, when the Red Sea stood up like the walls, when they tried to go after them, they all drowned. I didn't know they drowned. Yep, they were running after them, and they drowned. So let's continue. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed when the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overwhelmed kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Did you guys go through that for Jesus? Yeah. If we had to. I hope I don't, but I love them. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. 
for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. That's good. Chapter number 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Have you guys ever been disciplined by me? Yeah. What does that mean? Discipline means like to get spanked or get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. What? what? You guys have been disciplined by me? I think it's... But why do I discipline you I guys? think you almost... To teach us a lesson. got so mad that you almost spanked me with a belt. <laughs> almost. But the reason is because I love you, right? Yeah. I don't want you guys to do things that are going to hurt you in life. I'd rather you learn from the lesson like a spanking than to learn from... The harm that comes from sinning, right? Yeah, and it'll teach you a lesson. And this yep. is telling you God does the same thing. That he disciplines us to teach us lessons because he loves us as his own children. It says, if God didn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, we shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our Father, of our spirits, and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. Right, guys? Sometimes it's painful when you're getting disciplined, right? Yeah. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. 
You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have not come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the countless thousands of angels in the joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Isn't that good, guys? Yeah. Our God is a devouring fire. Yeah. Final chapter, guys, chapter number 13. So keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Isn't that cool, guys? Yeah. That means we got to be nice to people we come in contact with, because what if they were an angel? We could help by helping bless them, and then they would bless us, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we got to be nice to everybody, because you never know. Remember those in prison, as you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and who those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God? Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You guys know that? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus yeah. is the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from the rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priest in the tabernacle have no rights to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us for our consciences is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do and especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail, and he comes here soon. I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings, and may God's grace be with you all. Yeah, guys, that's the end of the book of Hebrews. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome, guys. That was a lot of that was a lot to learn, right? Yeah. But it showed us how they went from being Hebrews under the law to being Christians under Christ. And it showed us how Christ exampled everything in the Old Testament for us. So that's good. How about we go to the Lord in prayer? Yes. My favorite time of the Bible study. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, pray along with us. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow your word to go deep in our hearts and be a foundation, God. We want to build our lives upon your word, God, that it'll stand strong in the storms of life, Lord. We want you to touch everybody who hears this Bible study, that they will understand how important Christ is to our relationship with God. That we will let him come inside of us as the Holy Spirit and unite us with the Father. That we can continue this ministry that he set out on earth. We worship you and thank you for spending time with us in the word. And bless everyone who hears this. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks everybody for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. See ya.